Father, I pray a specific prayer this morning for courage. Courage for your people to do your will in this fallen world, even when it's hard. Please work in this room this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That is our theme this morning as we head into the Garden of Gethsemane with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The theme is courage to do God's will, even when it's hard. What's that look like? do God's will when it's hard. I'm going to share two stories from Romania. True stories from when they were under communist reign. One was about a young woman in her 20s. She was imprisoned for her faith in Jesus Christ in a cell with several other young women. She was sentenced to death. The night it was scheduled, the armed guards came, the the young women heard them coming, and the ones who survived said she did not cry, she did not scream out for mercy, and they recalled a conversation they had had with her just hours before. I want you to listen to the words of this young Christian woman. She told them, for me, this grave is the doorway to a heavenly city. Who can tell the beauty of that city? Their sadness is not known. There is only joy and song. Everyone is dressed in the white of purity. We can see God face to face. There are such joys that human language cannot express. Why should I weep? Why should I be sad? She was engaged to be married in this life. She went on to tell her friends tonight, I'm going to meet my heavenly bridegroom instead. That's what courage to do God's will looks like when it's hard. Now, some of you may be thinking, hey, uh, why do they share stories like this? This was from Voice of the Martyrs. They wrote a book years back called Extreme Devotion. Is it just to be fantastical? Is it, is it to scare us? No, it's, it's, I think it's to do a couple things. One, to remind us to pray for brothers and sisters around the world who are in situations just like that this morning, but also to to help us turn to our Lord and his power that we might have faith when the test comes to us, to be faithful, to have courage to do God's will, even when it's hard. Many of us, if you're like me, are saying, I've never been in a situation like that. I have not. Listen, courage to do God's will, even when it's hard, shows itself in all kinds of different situations and levels. For the young people in the room, it it might mean taking a stand for purity in your dating relationship, even when your partner is pushing another direction or those around you because you love Jesus. Married couple going through a hard time, it could look like fighting for your marriage, even though running away looks like it would be the easier path. It could mean taking an ethical stand at work, even though you know it may cost you your livelihood or your job itself. It could mean speaking Jesus into a close relationship where you know it could jeopardize that very relationship. 
And someday, we don't know, it may be a moment like this young woman faced. How do I find courage to do God's will when it's hard? We're going to look to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says he is the author and forerunner of our faith. He is our Lord and our Savior, but he also showed us the path before we would ever walk it. So we're going to go with him to a garden called Gethsemane. If you have your Bibles, Mark 14, 32. He and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. Does anybody know what the word Gethsemane means? It means oil press. Oil press. We already heard that this was the Mount of Olives. It was a beautiful garden that he and his disciples would often go to because of that name. Many believe there were likely many olive trees in an olive press where those precious olives were squeezed, crushed, and that, that precious olive oil was extracted. That name means so much to me because that is exactly what we're going to see in the life of our Lord as he is squeezed under the, the pressure of the cross that he is facing. We're going to see the preciousness of our Lord come out, his holiness, his righteousness, his, his grace, his mercy, and his love as he is squeezed under that pressure. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. That's going to be a key word throughout this passage. Pray, praying, prayer. Where do we find courage to do God's will when it's hard? One essential place in the life of the believer is prayer. Walk, walk with me as we learn from our Lord. Verse 33. As he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. How sorrowful? Even to death. Remain here and watch. What was the distress? What was the trouble? Well, well we know physically speaking he was about to face one of the most inhumane deaths that has ever been invented by men. But most believe there was something deeper than that going on in the heart of our Lord. He knew that for the first time in eternity, he was about to experience the wrath of his Father because your sin and my sin would be upon him on the cross. For the first time, he would know his father's wrath. Now, let me ask you a question. When you read words like greatly distressed and troubled, very sorrowful, knowing that he was wrestling with the great weight of what was coming, does that cause you to appreciate the cross less? Or does it cause you to appreciate it more? It causes me to appreciate it more. He was wrestling with the weight of it. In this garden, when he says to his guys, remain here and watch in verse 34, if you go over to Matthew 26, 38, Matthew tells us that he said, remain here and watch with me, with me. 
I find those words to be important because Jesus is not only God. What is he? He's also fully man, right? He is the God man. And when he says, remain here and watch with me, what I believe that means is just like you or I, when we're going through a hard time, he wanted his friends to be with him. He wanted Peter and James and John there by his side with me. And for the body of Christ today, as I think about finding courage to do God's will even when it's hard, this reminds me that it is so important that we stand together. That we stand together more than ever. The enemy would love nothing more than to divide and conquer the church of Jesus Christ as we march into the days ahead. You know that? He's been doing it for centuries and there's many ways. I'm going to warn you about one danger that I see on the horizon and I do not want our church to fall prey to it. I want to talk to you about a vaccine. Okay? And I realize that within the church even, there, there are multiple opinions about the vaccine. Okay? On the one side, you have people who have questions and concerns about its safety and efficacy. On the other side, you have Christians that, that believe that if you love your neighbor, you will take this vaccine. I want to tell you right up front, I believe this is a Romans 14 issue. If you don't know what that means, read Romans 14. It means there are issues where believers have freedom in their own walk with God to make their own decision. We will all give account to the Lord. So what I want to warn us against is becoming divided over that. Whether you believe it's the loving thing for your neighbor to take it and you take it, or you have questions about its efficacy and concern, you do what God leads you. And do not dare judge another brother or sister in this body. Do not do it. The enemy would love nothing more than that. And I'll tell you, a couple weeks ago at our prayer meeting, there were three of us there who were unvaccinated, two who were vaccinated, and we circled hands and prayed for this. Lord, help us as a church to lead the way on this. Wherever each believer stands, let us show that unity is deeper than a vaccine. Unity comes as we look to the Nazarene, right? We can't get divided over a shot. We got to unite around the cross. Regardless of how we believe about that vaccine. I thought about it this way. The main thing is not Pfizer. The main thing is the Father. The main thing is not Moderna. You know what the main thing is? It's our Messiah. The main thing is not Johnson and Johnson. The main thing is Jesus Christ. Amen? So whatever you believe about it, please don't judge another brother or sister. Talk about it, sure, lovingly, respectfully, but do not divide this body over it. If I hear it happening, you will be talked to. Jesus loves this body too much for that to happen. We have to stand together if we are to have courage to do God's will when it's hard. We need each other. United, divided we fall. Divided we fall. What about when your friends fall back? That's your moment of need. Maybe some of you are there. You're facing a hard moment in your life, and you feel like all of your earthly friends have fallen behind, left you. 
What did Jesus do? Verse 35 says, going a little farther, Luke tells us about a, a stone's throw. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Listen, when every earthly friend abandons you, your heavenly Father will always be there. He will always be there. This was everything to Jesus, this relationship with his Father. Read the Gospels. Early on he said, I got food that you guys know nothing about. My food is to do the work of my Father. John 5.30, he said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. His Father was always there for him. He's always there for his children today. And Jesus, that's why he teaches us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. Another side note here, when... When he shares his heart about the struggle, yet closes with, yet not what I will, but what you will. I'll tell you, if anyone ever comes up to you and tells you it shows a lack of faith in your prayer life to submit your prayer to God's will, you take them right here. You say the Son of God submitted his prayer to God's will. I will follow his lead. Okay, He submitted it to his Father's will. What about the guys? Verse 37. He came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Every time I read that line about could you not watch one hour, I think about when we have my brother over to watch a movie. (laughs) He'd fall asleep every time. (laughs) Are you sleeping again? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) love you Matt if you ever listen to this did you notice what he called Peter here Simon that stuck out to Peter that was his name before Jesus called him right speaking something maybe by calling him that name are you asleep why let me share a couple reasons that you and I probably relate to all included in the fact that they're human Okay, just like you and I. Number one, they're, they're tired. Later on in this passage and in Matthew 26, 42, it says their, their eyes were heavy. Okay, I understand that. I can't even make it through a Jeopardy at night. Their eyes were heavy. They're tired. And listen, there's a balance here. God gets that we're human and we need rest. The Bible says he grants sleep to those he loves. So we don't want to get legalistic about this. Another passage says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows that we are made of dust, right? He gets it. We're we're built to rest. But there is warning here, too. If if that ever turns into laziness that, that keeps us from spiritual vigilance in our lives, we better watch out. We better watch out. They were tired. They were also discouraged, Luke twenty two forty five 45 says they were sleeping for sorrow. How many of you know when you walk through a dark, discouraging time, it, it takes it out of you? And they didn't know everything that was coming, but they knew enough to know that things were taking a dark turn for their Savior. 
and they were discouraged. The third thing I think we need to be aware of, I believe some of them at least were overconfident in themselves. This comes from earlier. You remember last week, (laughs) Jesus talked to them about them all falling away, and Peter especially. Not me, Lord, even if they all do. Not me. Overconfident in himself. If that's you, beware. He goes on to the heart of the matter. Watch and pray. I told you prayer was going to be key. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I did a sermon a couple years ago. I called it prayer, God's preemptive strike. You want to strike against temptation before it happens? Lead a life of prayer. Pray the Lord's prayer. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there's the battle we all know, right? We know the difference between what we want and what we end up doing sometimes. And again, he went away and prayed. You you following the thread here? Prayer? Saying the same words. So before we emphasize his desire to have them with him, right, and our need for each other, here I want to emphasize something else. That staying awake and praying with Jesus is what they needed at this moment in their lives to prepare for what was to come. Think of our sermons about the last days. You remember that little stretch, five verses in Mark 13 about the doorkeeper watching for his return? Be on guard. Keep awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. And now we're starting to see what part of that staying awake ought to include. What a life of prayer, a life of prayer as we wait for our Lord. Listen, a couple loving warnings. When Jesus says, stay with me, but you stay behind, beware. Beware. When Jesus says, stay awake with me, but you fall asleep spiritually, beware. Beware. And think about it. When it comes to temptation, It's not just the doing this sin or that sin that's part of it. What it is is getting distracted from God's good will that we are supposed to be doing. Right? We're here on the Great Commission. Satan would love to distract us from that with sin. Was not his attack on Jesus throughout his ministry to divert him from the cross, his calling? You can bet he's trying to distract you from your calling and your Christian life. Verse 40. After he went away and prayed, saying the same words, again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus get an answer to his prayer when he prayed to his father? I am so thankful for the gospel of Dr. Luke. He got an answer. Listen to what Luke tells us in this passage. Luke twenty-two forty-three. Was there appeared to Jesus an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Now some of you are saying, sure, that's great for Jesus. That's Jesus, the Son of God. Sure, the angels are going to help him. You know what it says in Hebrews chapter 1? 
Angels are ministering spirits sent to believers in Jesus Christ. He sent an angel to strengthen Jesus in answer to that prayer. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When I read that verse, and that's a real medical phenomenon under stress, that tells me the calling did not get any easier. But he received the strength he needed to follow God's will, even when it was hard. 41, he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And maybe he hears Judas, sees him through the trees, sees the soldiers and the torches. Maybe he points, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. But he goes out encouraged, at least partially because he prayed to his father. And to show this contrast between his reaction in the situation and his disciples. I'm going to shift to the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to John chapter 18, verse 3. It says, So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers, what kind of soldiers were these likely? Probably armed for the occasion. And some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. He came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Is that the normal reaction when someone is hunted by the law? Come forward? No, just look at this Gabby Petito case with her fiancé that's all over the news right now, right? They're having trouble finding the guy. Why? Likely that he's hiding. Other possibilities, sure. But that's the normal reaction. Jesus comes forward boldly. Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Soldiers fell to the ground in the face of his boldness. Did they catch a glimpse of his glory as the son of God? Maybe. They certainly saw his boldness, which was unlike anything they had ever seen before in a moment like this. They fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. He's in total control while he is about to be arrested. And this tells me something about Jesus. I think sometimes we misunderstand one of Isaiah's prophecies about him. Isaiah 53 tells us, like a lamb before a shear, his shears is silent. So would the Messiah be, right? 
But listen, one thing I noticed about Jesus, he was never silent about the truth of who he was in those trials. You read them. There are multiple occasions where he states boldly who he is. He was only silent in making a defense that would spare him from the will of the Father. He was bold when it came to the truth. I'll contrast that boldness with verse 50. The disciples, they all left him and fled. Now, of course, this is after Peter's well-meaning attempt to get one of the high priest's servants, got his ear, Jesus rebuked him. But even Peter after that, we know, going not only to flee, but to deny his Lord three times. Verse 51, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Some speculate this may have been a young Mark who wrote this gospel. We don't know for sure, but they fled. And I want to ask you a question. When you look at Jesus' response in the darkness, his courage versus their fleeing, which way do you want to respond? When following God's will requires courage in your life. What was the difference? I see a contrast here. His guys, what'd they do? They, they slept and fled. What did Jesus do? He prayed, he was strengthened, and he stood boldly to the bitter end of God's calling for his life and his incarnation. One of the differences was he prayed, and they did not. What's our memory verse? Mark 14, 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He told them, spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, some of you are saying, wait a second, that comparison is not really fair. He is the son of God. He is God incarnate, right? And these are just mere men. How can you make that comparison? Let me ask you a question if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Who lives inside of you this morning? The Holy Spirit, yes. John speaks of the Father coming to make his home with us. Colossians 1.27 speaks to believers of Christ in you, the hope of glory. This same Christ lives in you. And I want to ask you a question. How do we live in his power? Is it by living lives that are prayerless or prayerful? And now we come back to that thread that we have been weaving through here. And I want to ask a question. And I want to put some disclaimers on it first because I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit. Okay, I only want this to stick if God wants it to stick. You follow the Holy Spirit, not, not where I'm going, okay? But I've been on two sides of something in this church over our years here. We've been one of the folks that hosted a group in our home. Bible teaching, fellowship, food, and, and, and good times there in the backyard. When we, when we had that, we had 20, 25 people some nights. So full, we almost, there were times we had to think about splitting the group. Okay, and, and I love that. We need to get together and study God's word and fellowship and encourage each other. And I pray we have many more of those opportunities in our church. But last year, I felt led to, to make 
prayer more central to what we do at the church next door because it's biblical. So we started a Wednesday night prayer catalyst, 5.30 to 7.30, right out here every week. I want to tell you something. I'm excited if five people show up there. I know it's not all about numbers, and I know a couple other things too, okay? There are other commitments, okay? That's legit in our own family. We have a very active four-year-old named Luke. It requires Carolyn to be at home with him. There are other legitimate life commitments. There's the fact that we are not omnipresent. None of us can do everything. We need rest. There are other legitimate callings. I know of folks in this church that feed the homeless on Wednesday nights in Prescott. I also know that's not the only place to pray. We can pray all day, every day. That's the privilege we're invited to. So... I don't want to assume anything here, but I do want something to land if the Holy Spirit wants it to land in your life. Why so few people at prayer? Why? Maybe it's one of these reasons or some other legitimate reason, but I want to throw something out here. If it reflects that throughout our lives during the week, we have a largely prayerless church, If it does, I'm not saying it does. If that's what it reflects, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. Because the power, the courage to do God's will, even when it's hard, does not come without dependence on the Lord through prayer. If we have a largely prayerless church, we are sitting ducks for the temptations that the enemy is throwing our way. If we are a largely prayerless church, we are attempting God's will in our own flesh. And that's a recipe doomed to fail. I realize, too, when you talk about prayer meetings, sometimes there's a a fear level, right? Like, (laughs) you think, like, oh, I don't want to go there with all those perfect prayer people that say it just right, and they're going to think I'm weird when I pray my... Listen, nobody that comes to that meeting, including myself, is a perfect prayer person. Okay, that's not what it's about anyways. Okay, we're all there in learning mode, right? In fact, you say, what do you do there, right? What what goes on at a prayer meeting? Well, number one, um, we don't sacrifice any animals. That's just just letting you know. I don't know, maybe that's keeping some people away. (laughs) Every week... We start with training because have you noticed if you're like me, prayer has to be encouraged in your life. When it's not encouraged, it tends to wane, right? It has to be encouraged, and so we start with training. We're about to start 12 weeks of training on the Lord's Prayer. What does that mean for how we should be praying as believers? We start there. And then we go into one of my favorite times. We we share answers to prayer. And there are people who are at the prayer meeting on Wednesday who are about to hear some from this week. I want to share them with you. Because there's nothing more encouraging than when you share how you've seen God answer a prayer, right? I want to share two. Some of you know a guy named John who used to sit back in that corner. John was homeless in Prescott Valley. And on a Sunday morning, he was walking down this street, saw the sign, and said he felt God let him in here. So he came to this church for about a month. Jose shared the good news of Jesus with him, gave him some work. Many of you got to love on him and help him with food and other things as he got back on his feet. 
But he disappeared for about a month. And the last word we heard from him was he was discouraged. And, and we reached out and couldn't hear anything back, didn't hear anything back for like a month. So Wednesday night, we decided to pray for John. Lord, we want to hear from him. Please help him to reach out. Let us know how he's doing. After more than a month, guess who I got a call from Friday morning? John. John, and he told me a couple of things. He's heading to Oklahoma where he found a work opportunity. He texted me pictures of himself with the world's, or maybe the Western Hemisphere's largest cross in Groom, Texas. And he said at one of his stops, he said, I sat down and was reading something about the armor of God that Will gave me. And he said, I was reading this prayer about how to have a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know I have faith. You know what I went on to tell John? I said, John, two days ago, there was a prayer meeting where people were praying for you to reach out so that we could hear from you. And <laughs> this is such an answer to prayer. Let me tell you about another one. Sometimes you pray for things that you don't even know the details of. Wednesday night, one of the people praying there felt led to pray for marriages among God's people. God protect marriages because they reflect Christ in the church. Strengthen them. Help them to be all that you've called them to be. Protect them from the evil one. That person didn't even know, and, and this couple gave me permission to share this. They're Christians, but they don't go here. The day after that, Thursday, I set three chairs right here in the foot of the cross. Before I left for that meeting, Carolyn prayed for the couple. As I waited for them, I prayed over the chairs where they would be sitting, not for the chairs, but for the people that would be coming. And this was a couple that was hurting. I had met them two previous times. They had been separated for two months. There was great distrust because of some things that had happened. And the meeting was for the purpose of deciding, do we make a go of it or do we divorce and go our separate ways? That, that was the meeting that took place right here. And they came in and... Carolyn started crying at dinner when I got home and told her, I mostly watched as they talked and God worked. I saw one spouse ask the other spouse after they heard that the other spouse wanted to come home. I said, why do you want to come home? The spouse said, because I love you. The spouse that asked the question said, that's what I was hoping you'd say. I love you too. And long story short, there... They're prepared for one year of rebuild in marriage counseling with a Christian counselor. What I love about that the most, a person that prayed for that on Wednesday night doesn't even know that couple, didn't even know I was having that meeting. <laughs> but we watched God work right here. So we share answers to prayer. Then we move into a time of silent confession, just between each individual and the Lord. Lord, knock down those walls that are between me and you. I confess this, that. Get it out. We move on to a time of praise because so often we skip that in our prayers, right? We get right to the checklist we need. Praise God. This year we're praising him for his attributes. One week it was he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Lord, thank you that you're all-powerful. You call out the stars. Thank you that you're omniscient. You know what we need but before we ask you. Last week it was the fact that he's holy. We praised him for that. And then we move, move on to a theme where we pray together. You know what one of the themes was in the last couple weeks? It's what we're preaching about today. We prayed courage 
upon each believer in our church. Not, not by individual names, but by everyone that shows up in this room on Sunday. May they have courage to pursue God's will, even when it's hard. One week we took all the groups in the church that we're so thankful for, and we divided them between the group, and we just prayed for God to work in each of those groups. And not just inside the group, but that it would overflow to the lost, what's going on in those groups. In the last part of the evening, we have open prayer. However God leads, you got a request, you want to just shout out a prayer, it just wherever it goes. And that's every Wednesday, 5.30 to 7.30. But I want to invite you, if, if God's putting a finger on your heart and saying, yeah, I could use some encouragement in my prayer life, and that would work for me, come on and join us. We had a few from the first service that said, I'm going to try it out. I was a little intimidated, but now that I've heard more about it, well, whatever the case, whether you come on Wednesday or not, please, please do not go out of here and live a prayerless life. I pray every believer in this church leads a life that is characterized by what Paul said, prayer without ceasing. What does courage to do God's will look like when it's hard? I want to share one more story from Romania. There was a pastor there named Pastor Florescu. Communists arrested him, brought him in, and said they wanted to know where the rest of his church was hiding so they could bring them in. He refused time and time and time again to tell them where his church was. One day they went out and kidnapped his 14-year-old son, Alexander. And they brought Alexander to the feet of the pastor and began to beat him and kick him until the pastor eventually almost went crazy. Can you imagine watching your own son? He cried out, stop, stop. And he was about to tell the communists where the rest of his church was. And he likely would have had his son not spoken up. Listen to the words of this 14-year-old. His body bruised, blood running from his nose and mouth. Alexander looked his father in the eye. Father, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a parent. Stand strong. If they kill me, I will die with the word Jesus on my lips. The author says the boys courage enraged the guards. They beat him to death. As his father watched, not only did he hold on to his faith, he helped his father do the same. Father, we may or may not ever find ourselves in a situation like that. But as we look to the Garden of Gethsemane, we thank you for the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to follow you even to death for our salvation. Thank you for his example as the God-man of prayer in his deepest time of need. May we follow him. Pray for brothers and sisters around the world 
like this young woman and this young man that we read of. Give them strength today. Or give us strength for the days ahead. Have courage even when doing your will is hard. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, I'm going to invite Pastor Aaron up here. I don't like to just talk about prayer. I want us to pray for courage to do God's will. I want to share a passage from the book of Acts where the early church was under persecution. What did they do? Acts 4.29, they gathered together. They looked at the same Father Jesus did. The Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31 says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What I want to invite us to do as Aaron plays for a few minutes is to pray for courage from the Lord above to do his will. And there's two ways you can do this. Some of you may say, I just want to pray with myself or my family. For you just stay seated. That'll be the indication that you want to pray alone. But I also want to invite you, if you're here and you say, I'd love to pray with one or two other believers or families for courage for each other. I invite you to stand up and just find one or two other people and pray with each other. Encourage one another in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious time. Thank you that it is but one of many.
throughout our weeks where we can come to the throne of grace boldly in the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a prayerful church. Whatever that looks like, however you lead that in each individual's life, we leave that in your hands. Father, I pray this morning as we wrap up that even as we give our offerings, we would be one more act of worship, trust, gratitude for all you've done. So we think about the Savior in the garden, wrestled with the weight of it all, move forward boldly in your will and for the love of his people. In Jesus' name, amen.